Warning, this podcast is rated not safe for work for profanity, sexual innuendo, and general silliness. I did the thing, guys. Welcome to the conference. I did it. I finally did it. I've been talking about this since I started this podcast. We've started the thing. You know what the thing is? No, what did we start? Call of the Great Eleven. Oh. Yeah. These chicks are crazy. They're fucking crazy. I finally <laughs> did it. I have literally been talking about it since I started the podcast. It's been a year that I got around to this. Well, it's about damn time. Do you remember what you told me in that one rating? It's like sometimes the most important ones are the hardest to do. Yes. Yeah, this is this is that thing. This is my baby right here. Oh, it's because you want to you want to make sure you're doing it right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm so excited. Why are you? Well, we all know I'm excited. You're new to the podcast. Why are we excited about this episode? Uh, This one's just kind of fun history. (laughs) I mean, you know, we, so we have it broken down. It's going to be the, if I'm correctly, the first time that it's in at least three parts. So far. Right. So, so far we'll probably change that because there's some, there's some stories out there that we can, we can take further, but you know, it, the f- part one was was last uh, our last episode about Hecate, right? Your your personal goddess. So there's already that that extreme closeness to you and, and feeling to you. But I I love this one because it encompasses everything. It's a true crime story. It's a witchy story. It's an occult story. It's everything. It is. There's sex, death, all of it, all the good stuff, scandal. Neat little bow put on oh, top yeah. for us to, for us to unpack. And it is from my favorite decade ever. The favorite decade ever. I would the totally go back. Twenties. I would go back and live there. Oh yeah. my god! Yes, yeah. and this is when cults fucking thrived a hundred years ago. And there's a couple reasons. So I even have a slight, even more setup than I already had. To get to this particular cult, but like the Roaring Twenties, I mean, it's fucking bomb. All right, it's a time of experimentation, excess, and wanton abandonment. Now, there's a couple of ingredients for this perfect recipe of how we get the Roaring Twenties and and the the cults. And I'm like, yes, okay. So we're going to, or I'm just going to just go balls deep. We're just going straight for it. Let's just do it. Yeah. Enough for play. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the roaring twenties, we got to get you in the mindset. How the fuck is all this fuckery about to fucking happen? First thing is it's the end of the first world war and the first, uh, or not the first, but the flu pandemic of 1919 had finally subsided that, uh, Bird flu thing. Or no, it was uh, Spanish influenza. Yep. I didn't write it down. Yep. Spanish flu. Spanish flu. Actually, you know what also hit during the Spanish flu? This was an epidemic. It wasn't a pandemic. It was an epidemic that I wish I had. It was called, uh, it was, I can't remember the scientific name, but it was the sleeping sickness. Oh. Yeah. You literally just, yeah, right. You literally just got tired and like went to sleep for three months straight and nobody knew why. Nobody knew why. And then people woke up and they're like, why the fuck did you wake me up? And it'll be like three or four months later. <laughs> <laughs> now, some people died from it. I mean, I'll die in my sleep. That's fine. But we're yeah. not talking like flu symptoms. We're not talking about, you know, runny nose. 
Like they just, oh, I'm so fucking tired. Went to bed, didn't get up. And then when they did wake somebody up, they can only keep them up for about 30 seconds. And then they would right back out. Gone. I mean, at least then you get confirmation they're still alive. Yeah. People who woke up said they were just like dreaming for a couple months and they woke up feeling like a million bucks. No, seriously, sign me up. Well, the problem, the problem was is later in life, they developed an onset of Parkinson's. It immediately linked them to Parkinson's and the, the elder part or more twilight years of their life. That's the catch. You sleep Every, now. Everything has its price. Yeah. You sleep now for a couple of months. Everything's great. For a couple of, you know, a couple of years after that, you get like 10, 20 years, everything is hunky dory, and then boom, Parkinson's. Every one of the patients who woke up from the sleeping sleeping sickness ended up with birth. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Another episode, though. I'm just saying. I, I was going to say, like, we may need to look at this for another episode. Yeah. I mean, I got some just... YouTube videos I could send you. I mean, this is okay. what I do. But <laughs> so you got an epidemic, a pandemic, a world war. Those are out of the way. And men were all fucked up when they returned from war with their families. Big shocker. I mean, that's a huge test of faith and resolve. Mm-hmm. A war. You, you would know. Very that. much so. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Now. Because of the war, the women had entered the work force. You know, the men were away. Shit needed done in America, you know. So World War I, women started working, and that added strength to the women's suffrage movement going on at that time. So Personally, I'd like to go out there and say I think we should end women's suffrage. Yes. Um, they're, they're like the earliest feminist movements for you youngins. But I, I love the twenties. They're like, fuck these courses and shit. I'm 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 a hardworking lady. It's gone. I see now you lost me. You lost me. God, I love the corset. Well, I mean, I have several. That's not the point. <laughs> I don't have to wear it. It's not expected. Okay. Okay. I'll 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 I'm back on board then. Yeah. So there's there's a great little quote that I pulled from Janet Fox in her series, The Roaring Twenties, you may not know. I have provided this for Patrick to read for Yens. So, movements like pacifism, isolationism, and spiritualism grew following the end of the war as people sought to retreat from the horror. And the need for relief from the emotional traumas of the war may have contributed to the anything-goes atmosphere that prevails in the 1920s. Advertising, commercial manufacturing, the rise of cinema, and the automobile prompted new and more liberal ideas that conflicted with the traditional thinking American soldiers left behind when they went off to war. Sorry, went off to fight. Yeah. So, I mean, that sums it up great, I think. I was like, Whoop. Yeah. Yeah, but, it, it really does. Yeah. So the stuffy version of this is the American economy doubled overnight. Doubled. That is an excess of money and time. Because you, you had to work, but you didn't have to work as hard. There was more money to be made. It was easier to make it. And it was floating around. And you had so much extra time. Um, like people, people fucking invented flagpole sitting competitions during this time. And that one dude would sit up there for like 45 days. Yeah. Like the just for the shit of it. Just because I got time. People pay to watch me. Let's do the thing. You know, okay. But then, I mean, you got leisurely drives too. the government started putting in um, uh, highway acts and driving regulations. So people were more inclined because they were building more roads and shit just to take a leisurely drive with that 
booming economy and shit. So you got the money, you got the things. Okay. And then right, right when you're right when you're coming into this time period, you're coming off of the 1915s World Fair in New England. World fairs were big deals back in the day because that was like the biggest conventions in the world for progressive and scientific advancements. Just all one spot. So the one in 1915 gave us the new thought movement, also known as the higher thought. Okay. Um, I have another quote because I had a hard time summing this one up. So hang in there with me. New thought was preceded by ancient thought, accumulated wisdom and philosophy from a variety of origins, such as ancient Greek, Roman, Egyptian, Chinese, Taoist, Vedic, Hindu, and Buddhist cultures and their relative belief systems, primarily regarding interactions between thought, belief, consciousness in the human mind, and the effects of these within beyond the human mind. That one I did pull off of the Wikipedia. I almost never use Wikipedia, <laughs> but that was a good solid source. That I know, but that that chunk was just the most concise way out of four other websites that I cross-referenced it with. So yes, that's, that's a quote fair. from Wikipedia, but I double-checked it before I put it up there. Quadruple checked it. So when you when you get all those ideas, you know where we're getting at, right? You got ancient Greek, Roman, Vedic, you know what that means. I know you know what that means. Metaphysics. Yes. yes. The things. The things. So you get positive thinking, law of attraction, healing life force. They use uh, creative visualization and uh, as cultivating one's power. Okay. This idea really came to the forefront 1915. Okay. Before that, it was Jesus gives you the power. You put your hands in the Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, well, no. you know, I was I was just about to interrupt and say, you know, that that was a huge, huge step forward for spiritualism in in the thousands of years. You know, mm-hmm. when when Christianity took over, every you know, before Christianity took over, it was all about the divinity within within you, the power within you. You can be God, like you you can transcend, you can move forward, and then it was all about the man in the robe that stands in front of you has all the power, and you sit there behave and do as you're told Mm -hmm. so this whole thought process was just while taking you back to the old way of thinking it was revolutionary it really is i mean this is the beginning of the opening of the broom closet i know everybody's like oh wicca movement you know 1960s 1970 fuck you 1915 (laughs) world fair if you actually okay take your mind out of the witchy self for fuck two seconds Okay, yep. and you look at pop culture and the the paradigm of of a civilization at a certain point in time, that shift could not have happened if this shit hadn't have happened. You got to go back a little farther. Every big movement needs a catalyst. Exactly. Yep. This was the lubrication. This thing right here, not your not your sixties movement. Everybody's like, oh, free love, blah blah blah. No, no, no. It was the twenties. Okay. Yeah, it, I mean, it slowed down because you started to get that progression and World War II happened. So that yeah. slowed shit back down. But then as soon as that resolved, we went right back on path. And then you get the 60s, okay, which 70s, all right, that, and, then, and now today. But you have to look. Everything was real fucking steady, 1915, yeah. progression, you know, jagger line, but th- that's the point right there. 
That's that's all my witchy history up until this point. That is the moment in time where you that hits American shores. This is Amer- witchcraft in America right here. 1915. You heard it oh. first here on the fucking podcast. Okay? <laughs> Got you. And okay. we're an academy, so it has to be right. It has to be. And then Brandy did a whole episode on this way back when we first started that people in the 20s were obsessed with finding life after death. And we did this with, mm-hmm. the, with, the, with the Ouija board. Okay. And I love this time period because of the rise of popularity of Harry fucking Houdini. My favorite. Love Houdini. He comes on the scene, hits the 20s and Howard Thurston's magic shows. Now I've, I've gone over this a few times. I'm a Houdini myself. Like he's a practicing magician, but he's also a skeptic. And he's like, fuck you, spiritualist. You're not really channeling the dead. I'm going to get all you mediums. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. I'm that person. I'm like, yeah, I'm a witch, but I'm a witch skeptic. And I will debunk as much of your shit as I possibly can. People do not like ghost hunting with me because of this. I'm the worst witch to talk to. I'm like, the thing with Houdini was everybody assumed that he did it because he didn't believe. But he said that these are illusions. Magical illusions yeah but they you know people assume that he did not believe in the afterlife that he didn't believe in you know spirits and communication and he did he did and that's that's the thing he did it because he truly believed in it and he knew that all these charlatans out there that were just snake oil salesmen making shit up and you know we were talking about this before we started rolling the podcast you know you have those people who are giving you a reading and they they dramatically pause and they look off to the side. It's like, I'm getting a message. I have to listen over here. You know, he wanted to debunk the shit out of them so that those who were real could be seen and taken seriously. Now what, what a hundred percent I'm with you. I'm just going to tack on a little bit. So Thurston was that everything's a ghost guy. Everything's magic. He's that guy. Okay. Um, But the two engaged in friendly competition along with a wager. It was public. Whoever died first had to haunt the other one. (laughs) I know they finally gave up on trying to bring Houdini back. I can't remember how many that he said, try to channel me on my death day for so many years. And if I don't say this word or if I don't do the thing, and then finally his wife was like, fuck it. He's not, this is not working. Fuck it. It's over. It's over. Game over. Right. So I guess neither one got to haunt the other, but I, I like that. He's like, if I don't say this, if I don't do this, then somebody's bullshitting you, but they did this publicly. It was great. It was great. So good. But we're on a cult mission here. So let me redirect myself. We're also looking at the birth of Hollywood. Okay. I mean, we already talked about the economy. I put the notes in here. You, when you get Hollywood though, you have other things drawn to public attention, such as Mm -hmm. cosmetics, wealth, and glamour. And those are also being perpetuated by the radio. Like right now we have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. In the twenties, people all had radios in their houses. This was the new thing. And they were going to the movies. So that was the influencers at the time were the movie stars, you know, but instead of selling diet pills, like they do on the Instagram now and the detox teas and the Waste trainers and whatever the fuck they're selling, dick bigger pills, fucking who knows. They sold witchy ass shit. Like these stars were all glamorous and dabbling in the occult. And Hollywood is interesting in and itself on how it it begins. 
So to, to kind of like hammer home the birth that's happening at this very same time, we got to back up on Hollywood just a touch too. So I'm going to go backwards to go forwards. There's this real estate developer, H.J. Whitley, who started everything with 480 acres of ranch land that he purchased. Okay. Yeehaw. Yeah. And then he got donors and shit because he's a land developer. One of the wealthy land developers was Deida Wilcox. And she's the one who named Hollywood. And this really piqued my interest. Okay. She's quoted as saying, it sounds nice because I'm superstitious and Holly brings good luck. Time out. Let's take a witchy minute. Yes, would Holly. you win it? <laughs> we do a little break on on Holly. Yeah, so, it's Witchy Minute on Holly. We got the new theme music rolling. We're good to go for my Witchy Minute. So, all right. Little known fact: there are four hundred different species, and not all of them are evergreens. Okay, uh, the most popular is Ilex aquifolium, which is European holly, called Christhorn. So it's broadleaf, evergreen tree native to Europe. And there's a variety of these waxy leaves with bright berries and are used extensively in winter holiday decorations, right? It's it's the one we were used to seeing the most. Um, And most of the information that we're going to go through applies to that species. Okay. So early pagan roots, uh, it uses them as gifts amongst Roman friends during Saturnalia, uh, which was held December 17th on the first day of Capricorn to honor the sun god. Um, It was a one to five day celebration that included drinking, feasting, gift giving, gambling, ritual sacrifice, carnival atmosphere. I mean, the the whole nine yards. Okay. Uh, And they crowned a king of Saturnalia or a master of ceremonies, kind of like they did with the the Grinch and uh, the Jim Jim Carrey version. Right. Um, And, it was uh, adopted for uh, Christian deities, and, but again, pagan roots. You know, there are pagan roots in everything. Wreaths uh, of holly were hung on the door as a sign of faith that life, like the sun, is cyclical, and it signals to the nature spirits that they're welcome to find shelter and comfort from within. Magically, in situations for uh, material gain, physical revenge, beauty, protection, luck, and dream magic. Uh, it's a favorite for any ritual relating to death, rebirth, and seasonal mysteries. It's also really good to help banish unwanted entities or command evoke and evoke spirits. In uh, more of the European and Celtic side, uh, Holly was brought into the home at Yule, and it was to invite the fey folk, the fairies, to shelter with you during the cold of winter. Uh, but those greens had to be burnt on Imbolc, uh, which is the, uh, the beginning of spring. Uh, and that was in order to ensure that the the fay didn't stick around and cause trouble all year long, because they are they are total trickster energy, um, and a, a lot of fun to have around. Don't get me wrong, but you can end up paying the price if you say the wrong thing or or don't get uh, uh, every little detail correctly when talking with them. But a small branch should be ret- retained and hung outside the house to protect it from lightning. So holly really was in and is an all-encompassing uh, uh, plant. Great. So I'm back in from our witchy minute. By 1903, Hollywood 
was incorporated as a municipality, okay? And by 1908, there were more than 30 motion picture companies setting up shop in Hollywood. They pumped out over 700 films per year. I found out that's why Chandler's were at the end. They used to be after the feature. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I didn't know that. That's why they're called trailers. Duh. Why are they? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I just like them. Okay. So the major motion picture companies at that time began production near Los Angeles, particularly. We had uh, America had their own new gods and they were celebrities. Okay. And they were publicly indulging in that medium ship, clam board, blah, 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 all that shit I mentioned earlier. Okay. And then they were mixing in Eastern and Western religious concept, past lives, ceremonial magic, Kabbalic esotericism. esotericism okay. So it's a list. Just on and on and on and on. We became obsessed with movies. This movie stars became obsessed with this shit. And then just to drive the point home, because they were obsessed with it, we were obsessed with it. Over 400 cults were active in Southern California alone during this time as a result of all the things that I listed. Okay. And they all had like their secret doctrines, charismatic leaders with special powers. And really, this was a major fad and a major money making opportunity for those with enough ambition to cash in on the novelty. Okay. Just like. The cult of the great 11. Okay. They're literally one of 400. They just got, they just did the most fucked up shit, which is why they're number one on my list. So, so let's, let's, let's do a quick PSA real, you know, cause there's a, there's a lot of parallels going on today as there was that, that set all this up, right? We have got a global pandemic. Massive wars are coming to an end. People back then were getting into spiritualism. The metaphysical world is exploding right now with more people coming into the witchy world and the pagan world. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of correlations to it. So what do we need to take from all this? Don't join a cult. Yeah, don't do it. Skip that part. Literally, I was just talking about to you earlier. I have a friend. Uh, I have two friends, male witches. They live as a coven of male witches. They're all polyamorous. Um, and I say this because the, the, all, three, all three of them were dating at the time. And then they lost one to a cult in Ohio. There are cults active right now. Yep. This, the, the, the weakest one of them, of the three, wanted out of the relationship and walked his ass right into a cult. And they put this on display. Like, we're this cult. We're all powerful. There's these witches. They're blah, blah, blah. They're coven. And they just, like, attacked these two male witches. To make themselves like it was like we're vampires, we're better. Like they're literally walking around, we're vampires, vampires versus witches. This do what? they sparkle when they go out in the sun? I hope they fucking do. Fucking posers. <laughs> you can sit, you can die along with Twilight. Mm. I was gonna say witches versus vampires. That was one of my least favorite seasons of True Blood. Mm. Okay. So I got this all set up. Call of the Great Eleven. Okay, so before I actually dive into it, here's my here's my disclaimer. My source for this book has the same title, The Code of the Great Eleven, written by Samuel Fort. 387 fucking pages. 
of just book. This is not including all of my side research in the process. So strap in or strap on. Okay, we're probably going to be down this rabbit hole for a while. I'm I'm in. Okay. If if you need some accreditation for this guy, this guy blew me away. I thought my research was like, whoa. And I'm like, this guy is like my research hero that wrote this book. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was thorough. Okay. The book was called Top 10 LA Crime Books by LA Weekly in 2018 when this thing was written. The guy did a deep dive on this novel alone for five years to reconstruct the cult from its inception to its demise. And he did this through property records. He did this through patents. He did this through every fucking scrap of paper that he could find that had any name on it tied to any of the cult's members or its leaders or who they used to fuck. Like, this guy is nuts. He spent a decade as a military cryptographer and intelligence analyst. Then he turned to researching and private investigation when he returned to civilian life. That's pretty impressive. uh Uh-huh. So this guy is on fucking point. We love him. Oh, and I didn't even know the guy was a military guy until I went to go like, where the fuck did he find this shit? And then I read his author mini biography and i was like oh military intelligence for 10 years yeah you know where to find the shit you know you know where the information is mm. do we need to give you a few minutes alone with uh, his picture and a glass of wine no okay he's not my type but his mind is sexy as fuck that is for sure (laughs) so why don't you kick us in kick off whatever the thing is do the kickoff. So we're going to jump right into it, but we're going to take it back a little bit, right? So we're going to start it all off August 2nd, 1881, when May Otis was born to Matilda, Jenny, and William Roswell Otis in Iowa. Somehow, and spoiler alert, William passes away and Jenny moves on real quick. This becomes very common in this family. Oh yeah, Very your head's going to be spinning from how fast <laughs> people disappear and then they just marry somebody. You're like, what? You blinked wrong. I had to go back. I was like, what? I, almost about as fast as um, Vlad Dracula and his family would change sides. Yeah. It's back in a few episodes ago. So anyway, so Jenny then married E.P. Holt in South Dakota, and all three of them moved to a farm in Minnesota until May turned 16, right? And she's like, I'm out. It's cold. It sucks. I'm gone. So she married August John Wyland in North Dakota on October 3rd, 1897. And they settled down in South Dakota. Despite managing to conceive a child, the marriage ran into issues because Augustus had issues with gambling. So May, May filed for uh, a legal separation uh, before her only child, Ruth Angelina Wyland, was born July 25th, 1899. Yeah, so she's got this new baby in her arms, single mom, and she's just doing her thing until this letter arrives. And she learns that her husband was murdered in California over a mining dispute. Cool. I'm a widower now. All right, let's do this. No messy divorce, so I'm just going to go do my thing. The first thing she does, questionable. (laughs) Questionable. 
Okay. Like this many is, things in her life. Yeah. This is this is like where shenanigans really start because Nate <laughs> dumps off baby Ruth with her mother, Grandma Jenny. And no one tells Ruth who her actual mother is. May and her mother Jenny claim that Ruth is May's younger sister. And it's proven that even after, you know, the cat is out of the bag, Ruth keeps the cat in the bag. She's like, fuck this. I'm fine with it. She will never call May mother. She can never bring herself to use that term. It was weird in police interviews. They're like, her sister? But that's her daughter? Well, what? What's the thing? What's the thing? Yeah. 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 She never gives that one up. Don't blame her. I mean, that's got to mess you up. That's got to mess you up something a bit. Well, I mean, technically, people at that time were having kids as long possible as they could. So you're looking at, uh, you know, like a 20 year, it's like a 20 ish year difference. Okay. So, like, a mom could technically have a baby at 20 and then Mm -hmm. have a baby at 40. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, you're like, okay, so they're like 20 years apart that eh, they could be sisters. That could be a thing. Okay. And there's there's evidence suggest suggest that May might have been sexy enough to pull this off. Mm. She, so the problem with May is that the only photographs exist of her is in her mid years, forty years okay. old, frumpy as shit, running the cult. But she could change husbands really quickly. And when you see what she does later, she's an attractive lady, but she's not like hot. But she's like forty, and she's not trying. It, she's got some skills. Yeah, when you say Ruth later, fucking bombshell. And that's her daughter. That 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 lady made a beautiful baby. So she had to be a beautiful baby herself. Like it's logic. Okay. Anyway, so uh, you have to keep in mind that May was sexy as fuck at one point to pull some of this shit off too. Okay. To pass your daughter off as your sister, you gotta look good to do it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. So May can be placed visiting a clairvoyant slash medium, Miss Lucy Lamb, in Minneapolis in 1900. And it's speculated that this could have been her introduction into the dark arts, more specifically, the lucrative benefits of this budding industry. Okay, she's hanging out with this lady who's making a small mint, being a clairvoyant. Okay. While shortly after or around this time, she meets this poor sucker named Rudolph A. Schultz. Okay. Now that this is a sucker, just hanging. Oh, that poor hanging. bastard. Poor bastard. Okay. They get married July 1st, 1901. Drops off a baby. There's no one sees clairvoyant 1909 married within a year. Okay. Rudolph, Rudy. Okay. Not the brightest crayon in the box. Okay. No. Eventually, they move to Portland, Oregon, so she can more easily visit her mother, Jenny, and her sister whenever she wants. So she's like, hey, I got my sister. I got my mom. Let's move over here. He's like, cool. Now, this guy is a waiter at the Oregon Hotel. Now, I try to look up a hotel at this time, the Oregon Hotel. The only thing I could come up with historically is possibly, I think they're referring the Mick. Men, men in it, men in it. McMenamins. Yeah. It's, I think the Oregon Hotel is talking about because it's still standing. Okay. It was around at this time. It was built at this time. 
that's the Oregon Hotel. The guy never labeled what it is commercially now. So I had a hard time. Okay. Here's the building. I, I thought big enough hotel to pay waiters and stuff. Big schmancy hotel opens up. There has to be historical records of it somewhere. There are. The problem is, is when Samuel wrote his book, he didn't like advertise for the Oregon Hotel. So I don't know if this is a motel on the edge of Oregon or if this is the 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 big name I found. So we're question mark possibly. That's fair. Yeah, but of course I had looked. Just so you know, I looked. I wanted to know because I wanted to be like, yeah, the hotel was built and blah blah blah. blah, blah. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be that person. I couldn't find it, so I, um, I would not. I'm, 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 not dis- I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. Well. With with about sixty to seventy percent confidence, look up that hotel if you want to know that. <laughs> anyway, so he made one hundred and fifty dollars a month, which was a decent wage at that time. That's pretty good money. Yeah, you know what's crazy about that? One hundred and twenty-five dollars of every paycheck got handed over exclusively to May for her own personal use. So technically, this 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 poor soul is making twenty-five dollars a month. It's tough being a sugar daddy when you don't got much sugar. Yeah. This poor man had to beg, borrow, and steal to appease his wife's expensive tastes. And they were expensive. May definitely loved the finer things in life, but we'll we'll, we'll dive into that one a little more later. Uh, Pin that one. Anyway, 1906, Rudolph comes home from work. Long day, right? Five years later, okay? And he just walks through the door like it's any other day. He's like, hey, wifey. And she's like, hey, hey, Pookie, fun news. He's like, huh? She's just waiting for him. Yeah, my ex didn't actually die, so we're not going to live in sin. So she she presents him with letters and evidence that she just randomly got in the mail that Mr. Wyland is alive. So their marriage can't exist because you legally can't marry two people at the same time. But and Rudy doesn't even realize that this is a fucking blessing in disguise. But he's love struck. He doesn't realize. Yeah. It. You know, he blamed himself and he begs her not to leave. Don't leave. What's even more crazy is John may have not been dead, but he was definitely avoiding May because this whole thing was a plan to fake his own death and it had failed miserably i mean that's going to tell you something about who you are as a person if the uh the person who's supposed to love you forever fakes their own death you are a garbage human being yeah so she filed a court summons when she found out that he was still alive to straighten this all out in court their marriage and shit he ignores the summons for court on may 15 1908 okay that was filed it's in the records never shows up so she files for a formal divorce and sole custody since he's shirking his fatherly and husbandly duties. Okay. And what's what's stupid is like the correspondence at this time is mysterious, but it's well documented. Most of these these this correspondence was like um with an anonymous man that was ratting out Mr. Wyland. And trying to tell her where the fuck he actually was without saying who he was. Like, your husband is here and he's not actually dead. So why? I don't fucking know why. It's it's weird. It's shady shit. Mm -hmm. Um, But all they could figure out from these weird ass fucking letters is that he was most likely hiding in Tanana Mining District in Alaska. 
that's that's about where they had him pinpointed. And and the, that's not an easy life. Like just getting there is death to a vast majority of people. So again, how horrible are you that your 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 spouse is willing to go through this just to get away from you? So, question. We're going to ask a lot of questions and answer them, but question. Why the fuck would you leave a man who is stupid in love with you and handing over all of his money for your every whim for a guy who faked his own death to not be around you? Why would you do that? So my guess is that was her one true love. And that's the one that completely messed her up. Either that or she just assumed the other dude had a bigger bank and a bigger wallet and uh, was looking for a brighter pasture. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, She wanted to be available because she was also seeing this guy who was married, but he was, you know, he was, uh, his name was Fremont Everett. Oh, Monty. Yeah. He literally went by Mont. Yeah. He was a Monty. Uh, Loaded Portland based lumber tycoon. So that meant he had some poop. Books. Way more than $125 a month. Oh, yeah. And uh there's no complication of marriage because he's already married and she's getting all of his money. She's just mm-hmm. being his mistress. Just this is gonna rack your brain a little later when you see what she's like as a cult leader. But at the time, I want to know how she's getting the money. I I am assuming sex at this point. Oh, yeah. But may uh You'll see. You'll see why I'm questioning this one. But okay. if you remember okay. it, I'll point it out later. Okay. But, okay. So she's got Mont all pussy whipped to the point where he allowed the two to be publicly photographed together, which you don't do with your mistress because that's expensive as fuck. So the two are publicly photographed with pages and pages of love letters that she kept in the wings for blackmail if she needed it. And the worst part was, is, is I didn't put it in the notes, but the worst part was these letters, these love letters were like, hi, Pookie. Today, my net worth is blah, 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 blah. And you know, that's because she asked him to put that shit in letters and writing. Yep. yep. And this guy did it. This guy did it. Oh, this is what my heart, just my heart, my heart went out for Rudy right here. He is still love struck. And he keeps tabs on his pseudo wife. And then she, he keep to the point where he finds out that she publicly is granted a divorce from Wyland. That's public record marriage and divorce records public. Okay. So he finds out they get a divorce five years after she walks out on him. He's convinced he's got a shot to win her back. (sighs) since she divorced the other guy. Not knowing about one. No, no. What an idiot. Collecting some of his monies, that $125 a month through the entire five years. So she's now annoyed that he won't go away. So she takes Rudy to court to officially annul the faux marriage. Uh, Rudy finally gets a little bit of a, of, a, of a backbone because he's now starting to feel humiliated when he realizes that she is now I taking wonder him why. So he starts airing out their dirty laundry for the court. He demanded half of her assets, which was $50,000 accumulated at that time for a lady who wasn't working. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. He's like, hey, judge, I directly financed 
all of her assets. I gave her that money. Part of that shit's mine. And technically, technically, our marriage does mean something because she was technically never married to Mr. Wyland either because he claimed that May was married before Mr. Wyland and never properly filed for a divorce either. There were no records of that divorce, so it didn't go into the official thing. So somehow he was like, that bitch was married before Ruth Wyland was born. Well, not that he knew, but, you know, I'm for, for listener timeline. Okay. He's claiming that there's someone before Ruth's dad. He doesn't know that Ruth's her daughter, but you know what I'm saying? We knew. Yeah. So it's, yeah. There was a guy before that guy. Got around. Uh, yeah. There's no record of how that, that court case went in the ruling of the faux marriage, except for it was over and said and finalized and uh, Rudy was gone by 1912. He's finally gone. 1912. 11 years. That man threw himself at that woman. That poor bastard. It hurts. That poor bastard. Right here. Right there. But, you know, you know, she had to get it from somewhere. I, I suppose. Um so when you're looking at um, the monetary Oops. value, no, no, when you're looking at monetary value, when you put in for, um, you know, bring it up to, to modern day terms, you know, that $50,000 he was looking for equates to $808,739.77 today. So th- this was a massive lawsuit. Yes. So I want to just throw that in real quick, right? Yeah, so she's almost a quarter of a billionaire in 1920s terms of monies. Yeah. A millionaire. Yeah, like yeah. quarter of a million. Quarter of a million, yeah. 750. Yeah, so she's 800. We're, we're right there. Just, Just and, and it's purely out of scamming this poor bastard of $125 a month. And Mr. Mont. <laughs> and Mr. Mont. And settling her marriage with Mr. Wyland. So three yeah. men later, she has almost, eight. I'm doing something wrong. I'm doing something wrong. I'm just, you and me both. You and me both. But I mean, hey, like mother, like daughter, right? She had to learn it from somewhere. And around that same time, May's mother, Jenny, loses her second husband to natural causes. And she very, very naturalish. Naturalish. Yeah. And pretty much immediately remarries. And uh, she marries a guy named uh, Walter Blackburn, who is a grocer. And they lived with their stepson, Ward. Yeah, Blackburn should stick right the fuck out. Okay. Blackburn. Okay. The other name to remember here is her stepson, Jenny's stepson, Ward. Okay. May's stepbrother. Stepson, stepbrother, Ward. Okay. I'm hearing banjo music. 1915 rolls around the world's fair. Okay. May marries a 27 year old disabled singer, George Edward Bloom, May 27th, while maintaining her affair with Mont. Okay. Remarried. This is guy number four for those who are counting. Number four. Okay. Now, I use disabled lightly, and he was an interesting choice because. Previous to their marriage in, tw- in 1912, he had a bench warrant out for his arrest for contributing to the delinquency of a minor girl was on the public record for him. Oof. 
Yeah. And uh, what's interesting is, is she might have found the name in a newspaper because George had won a small settlement from a work injury. Okay. And the, the wording from this document is, is fantastic. It said, you get said money because uh, it was impossible to continue singing or pursue any quote employment requiring concentrated mental effort. What, what job doesn't require yeah. some concentrated mental effort? They didn't say what the work injury was, but now he can't sing and he can't think at 27. Well, that explains why he ended up with May. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he originally sued for something like $10,000 or $20,000 or something. He got three. And May is like, I want that. And you know this didn't last long because a year later, he was listed as a prisoner who was unwed. Hmm. There's no official record of divorce, but he's like, I'm divorced when he got incarcerated. I, I mean, it's, it is the perfect time for, for that nice mutual split. Yep. Right? Yeah. So by the time she was 11 years old, Ruth proved to be very beautiful, very multi-talented. And in 1909, she performed as a ballerina on stage for a domestic French fete production. That means French entertainment, by the way. I looked at the uh, word fete. <laughs> I'm glad somebody did because I was like, mm. The author of the book, as thorough as he was, 387 pages, didn't tell me what that meant. He just said, <laughs> production, French fit. And I looked it up, and there's no ballets, no anything named that. It means French entertainment. So it was some sort of French wow. entertainment show that happened to have ballet in it at some point, I think, from what I, I could bust down, just so we know. Well, and then all of a sudden, she is the chosen star. Portland's first motion picture production called A Nugget in the Rough, right? And this is a comedy drama. It was directed by Louis H. Uh, Muma, and it was produced by the American Lifo uh, Lifograph Company. Simultaneously, she was cast in a comedy called The Tale of the Dress, and it was to be shown as a double feature, and they both premiered August 5th, 1917. And if you look up her IMDb page, this is the only thing that's posted on there because yeah, I had I to do you're, it. I had yeah, to do you were it. so proud. You're like, I looked it up, but I don't understand. Okay. So question, how does a girl with no theater or vaudeville experience, okay, magically get cast as a leading lady in two films back to back? Mommy. Okay. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Winner, winner, winner. Chicken dinner. <laughs> Okay, this one's great. This is great. Okay, both movies were financed by the Starlight Film Co., which was registered address of 1090 Simpson in Portland, which is the exact same address as a brand new home built from the ground up by May Otis. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. What better way to kickstart your kid's career by creating a film production company to give her the experience and the public credentials to go with it to give her access to Hollywood? Okay. And, and she bamboozled enough men 
to have the money to build a brand new house and finance two major motion pictures in Portland. That's a lot of money. That's a stupid amount of money. She even co-wrote the main title screenplay based on Mr. Weiland dabbling in the mining industries. Now get the rough mining her husband. Yeah. Mining dispute. And this is the best part. This was me watching you connect the dots. This was my favorite part because I watched face do the same thing. Samuel Fort, and I quote, few, if any, Oregon film history buffs realized that Portland's first film starlet, Ruth Weiland, and first film producer, May Otis, were queens of a death cult. They were never publicly linked never. to the cult, to nope. the film production, to the starlet of Portland's first monster, monster picture thing. Yeah, the, the English. I, I mean, I, at this point, I think it's safe to say that most of the listeners are going to have already put together the fact that she was a con artist. Extraordinaire. And this just yeah. kind of proves it. She was able to keep everything negative away from the positive. Yeah, I, even the, the film page, right? It lists her as an actress, not as a death cult leader. Yep. Not, as a, not, as, yep. not as a criminal, right? Like, none of that is listed on her professional page on the movie that database. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? If they had listed it, I'd probably sell a shitload more copies today. Yep. And then, okay. So, well, that would be great. If any surviving copies existed, there was a film. All the films went up in smoke in a huge fire in uh, 1923. They don't exist. Gone. Poof. No, that's just... Now, they were out of her possession at this time. They were not at the Still Light f- Film Company. They were with the other guy. The the um, American Lifeograph is where okay. the, the films were at. So they had films, too, that also burned. So this wasn't like a cover our tracks. Like she okay. sunk So everything. it was legit. Yeah, the fire was legitimate. She put all of her financing into those films for them to burn. And even worse is they only played for one week locally never made it outside of portland despite multiple glowing reviews but i believe that's because they were brimming with hometown pride because like hollywood was a thing and they're like film production has come to portland we will be the new hollywood we'll make it big it's gonna be okay yeah film industry is booming we can have one here too this is gonna be great no nope nope their Portland Hollywood plans up in smoke. May goes, fuck it. If Hollywood's not coming to us, we're going there. So that's what happens. She goes to Mont. Her Remember, Mont is one of the, she's his mm-hmm. The lumber baron. Yeah. Okay. So she pawns everything in her apartment to him, all the contents, and it's on paper. Okay. September 14th, 1917. And I have a quote from it because it's like, it's like, wait a minute. Let me break this down for you. I'm going to read this as clear as I can. Okay. The paperwork states that Mont signed. For the value I received, I have given you notes amounting to $25,400. And I solemnly promise and agree not to sell, bargain, or convey my property until I have, until I shall have paid you or have settled to your entire satisfaction. So he, she bonds everything, 
but he can't do anything with it without her permission. It's yours. Uh, You're going to give me the money for it, but you have to keep it. Until I either pay. Yeah. She doesn't even have to technically pay him back. It's just settled to your satisfaction. Now, also keep in mind, we're we're talking about equivalent to today's money of over $400,000 that she pawned her, her crap to this guy. Yeah. Man, she had to have some real talents in the sheets. Had to have. Keep that pin in its place. I'll tell you after the podcast why this is even more funny. Because <laughs> you obviously don't know, but I will tell you. I will tell you after the podcast because they'll find out next episode. But I want you to know now because this is like, (laughs) oh, it's so good. Okay. So in 1918, the dynamic sister duo officially moved to Los Angeles. Okay. Because remember, that's where the major motion pictures are. That's between them and Hollywood. Like, that's the spot. Okay. Now, May took that money and tried to finance a third movie. Never got off the ground. That didn't work. Okay. She also attempted to work as a director. No dice. Ruth, with her new acting credentials, could only find work on the silver screen as a movie extra. That means they have no money coming in. Mott's over there. He's got all of her shit. Her fourth man has run off because she's on before, right? She ran off Rudy. She ran off the other one. Okay. So all she's got is Mott. She's tapped him for the minute. So there is no money coming in. Zip. So Ruth takes an interesting career choice, and this happens a lot in Hollywood. Um, there was a really great movie by that Saved by the Bell actress when she tried to get out from Saved by the Bell, where it's called like Dancing Girls or something, and she plays the stripper. You remember that Striptease. one? Yeah, yeah, she's hot in it, right? But she's like, hey, I'm trying to be an actress, but I guess I'm going to have to strip for money. Okay, so Ruth finds some fun work as a taxi or oriental dancer. Which is the 19 equivalents of try before you buy model and the local dance halls. Okay. Technically, Ruth was registered as a dance teacher in a dancing school, but the real money was made in the after hours with the customers, i.e., prostitution and exotic dancing as we know it today. Now, some photos survive of Ruth as a dancer. She had a real passion, a real aptitude. And this girl was fucking hot. I'm going to share my screen because she is fucking hot, hot, hot. There's the screen share. Yeah, here we go. Screen share and share. Look at her. Tell me that's not gorgeous. I don't know. Doesn't doesn't do much for me. Maybe it's because I know she was a psycho that was part of a death cult. She's got the little waist. She's got the childbearing hips. She's a little lacking in the booby area. Mm. Okay, but she's also got her arms over her head. And she is in a very, very, or like very suggestive pose here. This is true. She has, I used to model everything in that picture. She is on point from top to bottom. She knows how to move that body and pose it 100%. I, I, oof. I mean, I model, so I know. I, I, you can't tell now from the podcast of the wild crazy hair, but I did the things. <laughs> I did the things. Okay. I've lived an interesting life in my 34 years. Okay. Gorgeous. Okay. <sighs> Gorgeous. I used to love watching the belly dancers and shit. So like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like I get, I get the thing. Okay. All right. 
And so Ruth now decides, maybe it's time for me to get married too. Because she's around all the men's, right? Finally finds one she kind of likes, okay? He's a railroad clerk from Altoona, PA, by the way. Altoona. Oh, Lord. I took, I turned down a 50G job a year with a company car, a phone, the whole thing, because they wanted me to work in Altoona. And I was like, nope, nope. I'll be poor. That's fine. To all those listening here from Altoona, it's a very lovely town. For you. <laughs> so this guy's name is Edgar Jack Rickenbaugh. I love his last name, Rickenbaugh. That's fun to say. Rickenbaugh. Come on, it's a good name. You say it. Rickenbaugh. Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I I know actually I, I paused because I was trying to think. I went to school with somebody with a very, very similar last name. And I can't. We're in Altoona. I just say that's not far from here. No, it's not. Uh, that's not a common name, but it's not a common name. Yep. Okay. Anyway, so they were married, first husband for Ruth. May's on five. Ruth's on one now. Okay. And her mom's on two. Yeah. Two husbands. There's a lot of men. We're, we're going. Okay. Ruth's on appointment. Appointment. Yeah. With Target. What's it? Mark number one. Mm-hmm. What do you call those? Things? Yeah. Mark yeah. number one. Okay. And uh, they got married May 27th, 1919. In case I didn't say it, I got myself just compubulated. But they, all three, the two sisters and Edgar here, all lived in an apartment. But May at this time had reverted to her maiden name of Otis. So May is an Otis. Okay. Who signed the marriage certificate as a witness to this marriage. She also is documented as using another alias at this time, which is go- which is the name Minnie Holmes, which was also listed as having a mysterious and brief marriage in 1920. Okay. So she never leaves this apartment, lives with Edgar, somehow marries some guy mysteriously, and then it's over before it starts. But she's living with Edgar, and Edgar didn't really... Didn't notice. Didn't really notice. Uh, okay. All right. Now, Ruth seems to have an excellent taste in men because uh, she decides she's going to do the thing where she continues to work as an oriental dancer and, distru- and instructor, i.e. prostitute, exotic dancing, and stayed married. And she picked a motherfucker who tended to have bouts of jealousy and physical altercations within the marriage. Yeah, she's not very bright. No. No, no, no. Um, the two supposedly separated on air quote good terms. Okay. Now Edgar got interviewed excessively after the cult got exposed. We're not in the cult yet. So there's records of him talking about living with May and yada 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 yada. So he says, I never saw anything strange. I never really saw May leave. She was just balls deep in the Bible every day. And what was even more weird is she never heard a single word between may and uh ruth uh, about religion neither one to seem have seem to have any interest in the divine rare from cult leaders right so they're all living under the same this guy lived with them didn't see anything didn't see the mysterious marriage didn't see anything about a cult nothing but this is where shit is about to hit the fan 
And there's, this is how we know this. Okay. This is what's really fucked up. So this was when you were playing devil's advocate with me. I'm like, ah, bullshit. (laughs) Okay. So this guy's living sees nothing. Okay. But Ruth is having an affair. So she also has guy number two. And it's a dancing client named Arthur Osborne. And their affair started in 1922. Okay. Three years after they had gotten married. Okay. Now, Arthur is an oil field and ranch worker. And he is fucking smitten and convinced that he's actually engaged to Ruth from their frequent nights dancing together. So he's Uh, one of the. Huh? I mean, it's very common knowledge that strippers love everybody they dance yeah. for. Yeah, it's. I, I, you, I've They're seen guys fall for this. A girl. So I, yeah. Yeah, you're so you're just so open and ready to love someone that any woman that shows you the inkling of anything, like even just as nice to you, I had guys like that too. I was at a bar, and I saw a guy sitting across from the bar. And he just had the most solemn face and he looked interesting. So I walked over to the other side of the bar and I introduced myself and we started talking and we became just like casual friends. And I saw him at the the golf club every, you know, uh, like once a month ish, you know? So before I would go, I would go to the bar, have a couple drinks, go to the thing. Well, then I got a boyfriend and he got furious because he thought we were going to date. And I'm You're like, soulmate. I just walked over and I started up a friendship with you and I was nice. That doesn't mean I was interested in you that, I mean, I'm, there are people I just engage in conversation. In fact, that he's just like a woman paid attention to me. I'm going to marry that one. That's this guy. That's a hundred percent. This guy. And I feel so bad for these guys. I feel so bad. Yes. And no, you know, this happened to a kid that uh, hung out with us when I was in the Marine Corps, you know, he would, uh, Beg and beg and beg and beg and beg and beg every single day until we took him to the strip club that was right off base. All because he had to see his best friend, who he was madly in love with and signed over his paycheck. Most of the time, the guy's bros are telling him, dude, she doesn't like you. She likes your money. Yeah. How do they make the conscious decision? Yep. Yep. I saw it firsthand and it was it was sad. But after a while, when they don't listen, you just kind of kick back, throw your hands behind your head. You're like, yep, I'm going to watch this show. Yeah, I had friends that this happened to. I, like I said, it happened to me on a weird way. And we know me. I'm just, I'm just loud. Yeah. Like there was, I was at a bar by myself having a drink. I decided to go make a friend just because I decided to engage you in friends. If I wanted to fuck you, you would have known it within five minutes. You've met me. I have led pickup lines with that. You know what I mean? Going around like, hey, you're attractive. You want to fuck? What? I have done that. <laughs> I have done that. If I want to sleep with you, if I'm interested in you, you're going to know within five minutes to an hour of me talking to you. That's fair. I'm that person. So if I, like, if I just engage you in a friendly conversation, I'm just talking to you. There's, I'm not, I'm not flirting. My flirting is, I'm just naturally nice. Like I'm a salesperson. I worked yeah. in customer service for 13 years. I just know how to talk to people and be nice. Yeah. That's all I do. I'm not touching you. I'm not making flirty comments. 
not like I do on the podcast. We're friends. We know I'll test the waters with something here and there, but like uh, there's no, there was nothing about me at that point in time, not even my body language. I was like, oh, it's nice. It's nice making a new friend at the bar. I literally friend zoned him <laughs> day one. In that second. Yep. Some guys just can't get mm. the hint. Mm-mm. And I told, I told this to any guy that has fallen in love. I don't understand why, but any guy that's fallen in love with me that we've been friends, I looked him dead in the face and I'm like, I'm never going to fuck you. So you need to, you need to be fine being my friend or you need to not be friends with me because it is never going to happen. Whatever choice you make, I respect. I just need you to know that. And I have had twice where the man chose to stay being my friend and a few times where the man didn't. But I nipped that shit in the bud right away. Not Ruth. That's working for advantage (laughs) at all. And he was even like, he was like, she's just so wonderful. And I love her so much. She's, she's not very affectionate, but she's, she's my fiance and I fucking love her. Like he even said to people, she wasn't the affectionate type. Mommy mm. taught her well. Yep. Now it's an affair, but it's not an affair. So it's one of those situations where Ruth has separated from her husband. They're not together. Like I said, they separated on air quote, good terms. Now, Edgar likes to randomly pop over and see his separated wife, Ruth. So she has Arthur send letters to Teddy Gates, which is a neighbor in her apartment, to hide it. Just in case he comes over and Art's there or he sees the letters or something. Just in case, because they're still legally married and he will still randomly pop over. And again, uses this to her advantage. She leads him on 100%. She is dangling this pending divorce in Art's face, okay? And these love letters are fucking fantastic between her and Art. Like, they are they are a thing. Um, my favorite was in one of the letters, she says, don't get it twisted. We still uh, use that. That's oh, 1920s yeah. slang, by the way. Don't get it twisted. I like that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I lost my shit when I saw it because my my one of my my best work friend, she's like, don't get twisted. Like she uses it all the time. I'm like, 20s, 20s, 20s. <laughs> okay. But you also like get stuff in the letters like, if you want me to leave Edgar and actually get a divorce to be with you, then you might want to help give me the money for it. So she goes to Art basically, and she says, "Hey, hey, Art, if um if you could get the money for my divorce as soon as I divorce my husband, you know I'll be with you. Just go ask your boss for the money. I'm gonna get. Can you go buy the money? Because he's like, I don't have it. It's in these letters, right? So you know, like, dude, soon I'm I'm gonna leave with you. I'm gonna be with you next week. You just give me the money. Just give me the money. Which Whole lots also, of red flags. Oh yeah, we're gonna pick up on this point next week. But there is something amazing that she writes to Ar- to Arthur, which is where this all starts. This is where all the the bullshit is gonna really happen. This quote is the perfect cliffhanger. Please read it from his letter. So Ruth writes to Arthur. Soon we will have something else to do, and then little kid. We will make the world stand still. Ooh, goosebumps. Chills. When you know what the book happens, it's like <laughs> goosebumps. And I am looking forward to playing devil's advocate on this one next week. 
Yes. Okay. That's it, kiddos. We did a lot of bantering. That is where I'm leaving this one. We're going to pick up at the birth of the cult next week. Because she does this in letters to art is where these this starts. This is where we see the, the birth of the cult of the great. I'm trying not to give it away. Oh, my God, Steph, shut the fuck up. Shut up. Shut up. Because even if you know the story, you don't know the story. Because I I listened to this as a, one of the first podcasts I ever listened to was on the Code of the Great Eleven, and when they told this story, I was like, they're ha- they're leaving shit out. They did this cult in more. That there are YouTube videos that do it in twenty minutes. The Wikipedia article is a five minute read. the The longest video I watched, like I said, they're like 20, 25 minutes. I saw the the podcast was forty five minutes. Tell me, yes, I slammed the table. I'll do it again. Table slam. How do you fucking tell this story in 45 fucking minutes? You can't. No. You can't. No. We already had twists and turns. It's been over an hour. All right. I'm going to make some notes for next week because we haven't, we're not going to, as you guys know from podcast, podcasting with me, sometimes I record the episode back to back to back. So sometimes there's only, a 15-minute fi- a break for us, and then there's a week break for you. Patrick here is getting a week break until we hit part two because I'm still writing it. I know. So he has to wait a week. You guys got to wait a week, and I'm keeping my man counter. This so let me, bullshit. Yeah, I'm going to write down my man <laughs> counter. Can you pull a card for us? Actually, I have two pulled here. I was shuffling and, and looking at them earlier uh, to get the, uh, get a message for our listeners. Uh, so the first one we're coming to is going to be the Eight of Cups, right? You're, you're working hard and things aren't going quite the way you want it to. And there's the solution. Next card that came up after it was the Six of Cups. So the Six of Cups talks to us about looking back on our childhood and back into happier and uh, friendlier times and use that as your way through what it is you're working through today. So when you find yourself kind of butting your head against the wall, when you're not quite sure why things aren't going the way you're supposed to, supposed to in your head, look into your past. Remember what worked and why it worked before and apply that to uh, to this problem. And that is going to be our reading of the week. These are my new favorite. (laughs) I, I I mean, I love some of the segments we've tried over the, 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 the the duration of the podcast, but these are my new favorite is the card pool. I I love it. Anytime you can get a, get a chance to get my hands on a deck of cards. It's, it's phenomenal. (laughs) That being said, that means you guys probably need a non-offensive dare. Okay, witches, it's time for your weekly non-offensive dare. It's kind of like extra credit here at the Macabre Academy. To mark my 100-episode commitment to my producer and sister, Sound Maiden, I have come up with 100 safe dares to bring silliness and random acts of kindness into this fucked-up world. We'd love to see our listeners creatively complete these dares on Facebook, the Macabre Academy podcast. 
Also on Twitter, at The Macabre Academy. On Instagram, The Macabre Academy. And on TikTok, The underscore Macabre underscore Academy. Do something extraordinary and I might just send you something special. Don't make me tell the truth anymore. <laughs> oh my god, this podcast is thick as the truth. We 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 speak at the truth whether you want to hear it or fucking not. Okay. Uh, page one, two, or three. Three. Top, middle, bottom. Bottom. Dare number 100. No, we did dare 100. 99. Play a game of chess. Play a game of chess. Mm-hmm. What if I don't have time for a game of chess? You will find time. <sighs> but I will march my ass over to that store and put on a pot of coffee, 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 and I will play the chess. I am bad at the chess, but I will play the chess. Let's do it. The yeah, gauntlet this- has been thrown. Do you have a chessboard? <laughs> no, but I have means of acquiring one. Okay. I, yeah. I have one, but it was it was made by my dad, so the, the porcelain pieces don't get moved around very often. Hmm. So the problem with the non-offensive dare list is I planned this podcast pre-COVID. I recorded the first episode pre-COVID. COVID hit! Fuck COVID. So I had to change a lot of my non-offensive dares last second because some involved being out with public. And mm. one of my previous podcast hosts was like, you shouldn't do that. That that's going to spread the COVID. And I was like, never mind. So I had to hurry up and rewrite some. Well, bring some of them back. I don't give a fuck about the COVID. Actually, today it would be make more sense. At this point, we were scrounging through the lists on, on the pages. So I'm going to rewrite the master list for the remaining episodes, probably like one through whatever we're on 30, 38. 38 episodes left on my 100 episode commitment to Sound Maiden. If you have not reached out to us by the end of the 100th episode, if you have not told me that you like the podcast and you want me to keep doing it, there will be no more episodes. I like the podcast and I want you to keep doing it. Mm. Somebody besides (laughs) who records with me needs to tell me that they actually listen to it. I mean, come on. I can't be the only one out there that likes this. There's people that listen. So you. Don't do it because you hate it. So jump on there. Leave a comment. Come on, guys. Keep yeah, it alive. I don't need money. I'm not in this for money. I need comments. I need shares. I need information. I need episode requests. Something to let me know that you're listening. I know that Tara listens. I know that Maggie listens. I did build some amazing relationships along the way. But I have a listener base of seven, base of like seven people. And this is a lot of work. So I need to know that somebody out there listening actually likes this shit. And I will keep doing it. But right now, on our episode 38, 38 more left out of 100 to go. So we are, we are I, I am a two-thirds of the way through. I am, I am right about there. So we will see. That being said, next week, part two, the code of the great to live. Technically part three. What, next started with Hecate. Two? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, but that was just for me. All right, two point two point one. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Next week. See y'all next week. We'll do the right thing. In. Right you in. You know where to find us. Okay. We're going to, yeah. All right. Bye. 
This podcast was brought to you by Nerdy Witch in partnership with Sound Maiden. We want to thank all of our wonderful Patreons, especially our long-term house witches, Tara and Andrew. For updates, please remember to follow the Macabre Academy on all of our social medias. Please send in your thoughts, stories, and episode corrections to themacabacademy at gmail.com. Remember to like, share, and listen wherever you stream your favorite podcasts.